start with this one. Okay. All right. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, as Stuart said, uh, you've got Charlotte and myself this morning. Um, we're really, really pleased to be here and not doing this live from Good Hope Hospital, which was uh, one of the one of the options. Oh. Okay. It was never the option. Um, I was really tempted, though, when I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning to text Stu and say, uh, Stu, don't want to worry you, but we've gone into labour. I thought, I just wanted to see what text I got back and what time that was. But uh, I thought better off it. Have I messed it up? Is that, oh, is that me? Are we on now? Okay, so we are going to be continuing our series on Thank God It's Monday. Um, and we are dealing with working with excellence. Um, so before we get into it, what we're going to do is just a bit of introductions about who we are. So that's us. Don't we look young? Uh, I just, it's just a kind of like, that's why, that's why I actually think I look like when I look in the mirror now. It's just sad, it's not true. <laughs> so um, I will hand over to Charlotte, she'll tell you a bit about her work history. And then you get to hear from me again. Okay, so my background, just so that you can look at me and hear what I'm saying with a little bit of context. Um, I graduated in 2005 with a degree in theology and religious studies and went into the most natural career path that results from that, which is obviously accountancy. Um, I joined one of the big four professional services firms, a company named Deloitte, in 2005 and spent five years working for them in London, qualifying as a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor while I was there. I specialise in corporate tax and before you all fall asleep, it's really interesting, I promise you. Um, It's basically advising large companies on their tax affairs So um, it's problem solving, working in teams of people, advising clients, managing transactions, that kind of thing. I moved up to Birmingham when we moved up here to help start real life about three years ago and moved up with Deloitte from the London office to Birmingham then and been there for the last three years. I've worked my way up, so I joined as the lowest of the low and worked my way up in the last eight years. I'm now at the level of senior manager. Um, And as Ben has indicated, we are expecting a new arrival. So as of a week ago, I'm on maternity leave. So my career looks a little bit different over the next few months, not necessarily advising large corporates on their tax affairs. Um, But hopefully the overview of what I have been doing for the last eight years is helpful and just sets in context what we're talking from. Okay, great. Um, As you can tell, Charlotte's the clever one out of the two of us. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am one of the Real Life Kids workers here and part of the leadership team at Real Life Church. And in preparation for today's sermon, I was kind of reflecting on you know, what qualifies me to stand up here and talk about working with excellence. Um, and the first thing that went through my mind is that I have a job. So I thought that was like a good start uh, for this. But probably um, on further reflection, the most, uh, thing that qualifies me the most is that I am definitely a sinner saved by grace. So this whole context, there's an underlying theme running through it of, you know, what we talk about up here and the biblical principles are definitely what we want to aspire our kind of working careers to look like. But I'm by no means perfect at all, as uh, I'll come on to let you know. And I've found working with excellence quite a challenge over the last sort of eight years uh, during the workplace. In terms of my education and uh, work history background, um, I was staff with GCSEs. You put so much effort into GCSEs, don't you, at the time? And then you do your A-levels and everyone forgets about them. And it's just like, you know, I just, I just think you should bring up GCSEs once in a while. So I got two A-stars, two A's, five B's and a C. Um, I got two A's at A-level and a D in physics. 
Um, I then got a 2-1 degree in geography from Loughborough, so I can now officially colour in um, and stay within the lines. And then I got a first-class honours degree in uh, project management at Greenwich University. And while I was studying for my master's degree at Greenwich, I um, got a job with a company called Garden Theobald that do project and cost management. And I, at the same time as doing my master's and getting a job, uh, embarked on getting, um, becoming a chartered surveyor. And in November 2008, I gained my chartership. I worked for Garden Theobald up until September 2011 when I joined my current employer, E.C. Harris. And the main reason for moving from Garden Theobald to E.C. Harris is that we moved up to Sutton Coalfield to help start Real Life Church. And I was still working for G&T for about a nine-month period, which meant I was commuting back to London four or five days a week, uh, getting up at 4.30, getting on a six o'clock train, getting back about half past eight, nine o'clock, and sort of after nine months of doing that, uh, sort of had enough and looked for something that was a bit more sustainable. In terms of EC Harris, we are part of an Arcadis group, uh, which employs 22,000 people around the world and has turnovers in the, in the billions. When I joined EC Harris, within a year of joining, the people there recognised um, something in me, probably something that I didn't see, and put me forward to become an associate, um, which involved quite an intense uh, process of filling out forms, because in my uh, place of work you can't do anything without filling out a form first, and then involved an interview of a couple of the partners there. And some of the feedback I received through that process was out of everyone who went forward for associate and got it, um, I came within the top band of that. And within this, like last year, it's been made uh, clear to me that technically, or not technically, there's a good chance that this time next year I'll be going forward to become partner of EC Harris, which is quite a big you know, label in itself, but that remains uh, to be seen. And just about, you know, a bit of this context of excellence, we've got a client uh, called Grosvenor, who are a big developer in London, own the whole Grosvenor estate, it's kind of the Earl of Duke of Westminster that owns pretty much the whole of it. Um, and we as a company, they're our key client for us, They've got 30, we've got 32 projects on with them at the moment, both in London and outside of London, and they've had a big change at the top, and the lady that's come in has shook stuff up a bit, and she did an internal audit of all the projects we've got on with them as a company at the moment. And the, um, of the 32 projects, the one that I'm responsible for scored highest in terms of you know, the service that we deliver to them. And then just, uh, just on Friday, I received an email which uh, made me laugh. I've been selected by the head of project management to take part in some research uh, which is carried out by an outside company to look at the importance and means of measuring individual energy which is often described as capacity for vigorous activity, curiosity, liveliness, vitality and stamina. I've absolutely no idea what that means, but yeah, I've got to fill out a survey to, uh, to see how I go about doing those things. And I say all of that really not to, really, definitely not to boast, but to sort of demonstrate that when we look at this kind of topic of working with excellence, Whatever I do, there is something that is recognised by my clients or my employees that that's, you know, I bring something to the party that other people don't. And really the reason for starting my education background is because I know I'm definitely not the cleverest person in this room. You know, I know there's, well, we've got about five, six Cambridge graduates amongst us. So for what I do, I, I tend to graft. And 
I almost wake up every day knowing that um, everything I have is from God because I know that I can't achieve any of this without him. And so when I look at my life, I know it's not my own doing. And this became, this is also recognised by non-Christians, which I find hilarious. When I was going for my associate thing, one of the equity partners there, um, you had this form to fill out, as I said, and they kind of, uh, you had to put a business case forward. And my form was looking very, very sorry for itself. And then right at the last minute, a client that my uh, company's been chasing for a long time, key client of theirs, came to me and said, Ben, will you tender for this job? And that really helped my business case. And the, the partner's um, comment to me was, uh, there's definitely someone up there looking out for you. So it's, uh, I, kind of, I do really recognise that yeah, when we're dealing with the subject of working with excellence, that it's something that is God-given and something that I recognise that God has given in my life. Um, I love my job. Uh, and therefore, and I want to say that right at the start, because I know that working with excellence is probably easier if you love what you do, if you're supported in what you do by those around you, that if you're working with people that also aspire to work with excellence. Um, I know in this room there's been people that have had to deal with bad bosses, bosses that don't support them, that put unnecessary pressure on them. Um, and that isn't my experience. I've never had a bad boss, which I, you know, I'm really thankful for. So that, as Charlotte said, was just to set a little bit of the context about where we're coming from when we're going through this. And the bit I want to uh, stress is that it definitely isn't my doing, it's definitely God's doing, and I'm definitely not perfect in any of this process uh, that we're going to be looking at today. And actually, when you prepare stuff like this, it almost teaches me, probably more than it teaches you, because uh, you have to grapple with some of this stuff. So, sorry, slightly extended introduction about us, but I hope... That was helpful. Just a recap on where we've got to in this sermon series of um, uh, Thank God It's Monday. First part Stuart did was God's plan for work and the, uh, the key things that Stuart pulled out of that was that work, like everything that God did, uh, was good, that God works through creations, uh, that we talk about the finishing work of, of Jesus on the cross and that God is still working today, that the fact that we're alive, we're breathing, that the world is still spinning, that the sun rises and the sun sets, is because God is working and holding all things together. And therefore God has made work dignified, that, uh, that is good, that uh, we should work. And then Stuart talked about the problem of work, and like everything else, when sin entered the world, work became cursed, it became hard work, and it became ultimately pointless. But then Stuart talked about the, good, the gospel and work and the good news that through what Jesus did on the cross, through his suffering, death and resurrection, that he defeated Satan, sin and death. And as a result, we can have a relationship with God because when we come before him, God sees Jesus' righteousness rather than our sin. And that is what the Bible calls good news or the gospel. And because that has happened to us, we get to take that wherever we go, including the workplace. And in part four, I've got to remember to click. Um, part four we, uh, was all work, no play, which Philip and uh, Matt Yates uh, preached on last week. And they looked at how to balance um, work and all our other commitments. And what was, I found really, really helpful when I was listening to this was not that there was a list of tips of how to do it, but looking at the biblical principles. Um, 
about how to do it. And Philip's gave something that is stuck with me, is that we build life around faith, we do not build faith around life. And looked at, I think, for both Philip and Matt, their priorities were God first, family second, work third. And Matt, I think, was very brutally honest and said, you know, depending on what week it is, depends on what order you know, he sort of gets them in, but he is working to get them in, God first, family second, work third. If you've missed any of the sermon series, it's all available on our website, findreallife.co.uk, and I'd recommend that you download and have a listen to them. So, by way of an agenda, um, we're similar to like Matt and uh, Philip, we're not going to, it's not our intention here to provide you with a list of tips about how to work with excellence, um, partly because what we do in our job and what excellence looks like is going to be very different for each one of us. But what we want to do is set some uh, biblical principles, look at the example of Jesus, because that's always the best place to start. So in a minute I'm going to hand over to Charlotte, who's going to look at working with excellence is part of what it means to be made in and reflect the image of God. She's then going to look at our attitude to work um, in serving God, and then the responsibility to use the gifts that God has given us in the workplace. And then you'll be pleased to know you get to hear back from me again. and look at the way in which we impact those around us, some of the challenges, and I really want to focus some time on the challenges of working with excellence and a bit of application. So, Charlotte, if you want to come up. Okay. So, the three points that are still there... Here we go. Um, The three points that I'm going to talk us through, the first one is how working with excellence is a factor of the fact that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. Um, The the title that Stu gave to this part of the sermon series is Working with Excellence, and as Ben has said, it's something that we both feel really passionately about, the fact that the way that we approach our work lives as Christians should be with an attitude of excellence. The first reason why we should work with excellence, as it says up there, is that we're made in the image of God. So Genesis 1, 27, um, is is the final part of the account of creation. So when God made everything that we see, the final thing that he did was to make man. And what he said when he was about to make man is that he was going to make him in his own image. So Genesis 1, 27 says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So part of our image-bearing responsibility is to do things in the same way that God does. And what we see clearly in the Bible is that God always does things excellently. Whatever he does, God does it with perfection and excellently. A prime example of God working with excellence is in the creation story that we see in Genesis. And his work of creation involved many of the functions that we would associate with our working lives, many of the key patterns. So we see God making things, we see him categorizing and naming things, carrying out his work in a clearly planned manner, he has order, and we see him examining the quality of his work. So God looks at what he's created, and he does a little quality control check, and he concludes that it's good or that it's very good. So God self-assesses what he's done as being excellent. The next passage that kind of works into this is 2 Corinthians 5.20, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says in in that verse that we are ambassadors for Christ. As Christians, we are ambassadors. 
So I just want to look a little bit at what an ambassador is. So in all of the capital cities around the world, you have embassies from different foreign countries, and they're run by an ambassador. And the role of the ambassador in that context is effectively to represent that country, to speak their message, to relay the key points that are important to them, effectively be a little bit of an image bearer in the same way that we're image bearers of God. So as ambassadors for Jesus, as 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us, we have a responsibility to act in the same way that Jesus does, to carry his message in the way that we do things and the way that we represent ourselves. Jesus obviously had a very important job, arguably a way more important job than any of us have. His job was to live a perfect life without sin, to die the death that we deserve to die on the cross, to take our sins so that we could be reconciled back into a relationship with God the Father. And in doing all of that, Jesus acted with excellence. And as his ambassadors, we have a responsibility to act with that same excellence and that same dedication to the work that we've been given to do. The word Christian, just take you a little bit back to the Greek here. The word Christian in Greek literally meant mini-Christ. So when the early church started, you had the followers of Jesus running around telling about the message of Jesus. They named them mini-Christs, Christians, because of the way that they acted, that they preached the same message that Jesus preached. And us as Christians are mini-Christ. We bear the name of Christ in that title that we have as Christians. One of the books that I read in preparing for this sermon gave an example which I quite liked, which was of Alexander the Great, who was, I think he was Greek, let's go with Greek, I think he was a Greek leader who lived about 300 years before Jesus, and he was a massive political figure of the time, he was a military leader, he expanded the empire through his leading and his military conquests, and there's a story that's told of him encountering one of his soldiers, and the soldier that he stumbled across was a bit of a pitiful sight, he was dressed shabbily, he stunk of alcohol, um, he looked dishevelled. He didn't really look like Alexander the Great would expect one of his soldiers to look. And Alexander the Great looked at him and he asked him what his name was. And the soldier replied, Alexander, sir. So they had the same name. And Alexander the Great glared back at the soldier. And his response was, soldier, either change your name or change your behaviour. Either change your name or change your behaviour. He didn't want this soldier bearing his name if the representative of that name was going to be shoddy. As Christians, in bearing the name of Christ, we need to live up to that name in our work and in our attitude towards our work. And one of the ways we do that is by making sure that we bear the image of an excellent God who does things with excellence. Bear with me a second, just have a little water. Okay, point number two. Too far. Um, The second reason why we should look to work with excellence in everything that we do is that our work is part of our service and part of our worship to God. So Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When we turn up at work on a Monday morning or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, whatever day we turn up at work, it might seem like we're turning up there to serve the boss, to serve whoever it is that employs us. But what this verse tells us is that in working, we are serving God. Work is part of our service, part of our worship to God. 
The Hebrew language, the language that the Old Testament was written in, had the same word for work as it did for worship. So they viewed work and worship as intrinsically linked. Probably the closest word that we get in English to the meaning that was meant is service. So our work and our worship are all part of what it means to serve God. What does it mean, then, if we're having to work as part of our service and part of our worship to God? I think one of the key things that it means is that the quality of what we do is massively important. How carefully we do our work and how we approach the tasks that we're given in our work is often determined, I think, by who we think is going to see it. So if you're given a task to do and it's given to you by, say, the top boss in your company, chances are you're probably going to take a little bit more care with that task than if you were just given it to do by someone who's the same grade as you. So our attitude towards what we do, whether it's right or wrong, can often be determined by who we think is going to see what we do. How good, as a challenge, how good is the work that you do? Is it good enough to be reviewed by God, generally? I found that massively challenging. I don't think so. I think sometimes I do what I can get away with, depending on what pressures I'm under and what other things are on. Another of the books I was reading and preparing for this made the statement that most of us are atheists when it comes to our work. We don't think that God's looking. If we work with this verse in mind, the verse that says that as part of our work, we're worshipping, we're serving God, then it transforms the way that we look at stuff and it transforms our view of how well we do stuff. Working with the attitude of serving God also has the capacity to give great significance to what we do. So it means that even the most mundane, boring, worthless tasks can be given significance if we view them as part of our service to God and part of our worship to God. It can become ordinary tasks can become extraordinary and brimming with significance if we remember that they are for God and that God views everything we do and sees everything we do. Now, in reality, neither Ben or I get up each morning reciting Colossians 3, 23 to 24 and toddling off to work thinking, I'm going to work for God, I'm going to work for God, although it probably would be quite a useful thing to do. I'm not saying we get it right all of the time, but one of the things we have found and continue to experience is that as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us to become more like Christ, which is what the Bible tells us he will do, it becomes easier to see work through the lens of wanting to serve God in what we do. It doesn't mean, as I say, that we get it right all of the time at all. And it doesn't mean that we honestly, in everything that we do, do it as if God's watching. I'm not trying to make that claim at all. But it does mean that our starting point should be to try to let that attitude be at the heart of what we do. And the way that we do that is by letting the Holy Spirit make that truth in our lives. So point number two, we should work with the attitude that we're working for God. He is our audience. He is our boss. And often that's probably a little bit easier to deal with than the person that you might not like working for sometimes. Point number three. We have a responsibility to use the gifts that God has given each of us in our workplaces. Jesus told a parable that illustrated this point, which I'm just going to read out now. If you've got Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew 25.
This is called the parable of the talents. And a talent in those days, according to a note in my Bible, was a monetary unit which was worth about 20 years' wages for a labourer. So when it says talent, it doesn't necessarily mean kind of a gift. In this context, it means money, a certain amount of money. But in the context of the parable, it can be taken to mean talents and gifts as well. So just to set that... So, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was, mine, uh, what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what we see in this parable that Jesus tells are three men. One's given five talents, one's given two, and one's given one. And the two men who are given two and five talents both go away, work with what they've been given, and double it. And God praises them both. He calls them good and faithful servants. But the man who does nothing with the one talent that he's been given is condemned by God and cast out. What this shows us is that biblical success is making the most of what we've been given by God. It's not about how much we've been given. It's not about what we've been given. It's about making the most of whatever it is that God has given us in terms of our gifts, our talents, our resources. The two servants who multiply the gifts that they are given are then entrusted with more. So by proving that we are faithful and diligent with what we've given, there is a pattern that God gives more to you. He trusts you with more. And the principle that Jesus teaches in this parable is something that Ben and I have tried to apply to our work lives in terms of making the most of the opportunities that we've been given and making the most of the situations that God's put us in, but also in how we act as stewards of the money that God's blessed us with. So as some of you know, we've just finally bought a house in Sutton after renting here for three years, and purchasing a house is arguably the most expensive thing you will ever buy. So one of the things that we've tried to do is knowing that we're investing the money that God's entrusted us with is to look for a good investment look for a house that would be a wise investment that's likely going to increase in in value and one that we can use to serve God and to bless other people with. 
the Bible is really clear that each of us will one day have to give a full account to God of what we've done with our lives. And given that we spend most of our lives working, much of our accounting before God will be answering to him for what we've done with the opportunities that he's given to us. I just want to look quickly before I finish at two biblical examples of men who used the most of what they've been given by God in the situations that they were in, Joseph and Nehemiah. So Joseph, that's the deed in Genesis, the technical dream coat deed. Um, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, ended up in Egypt. While he was there as a slave, he worked diligently and used the gifts that he'd been given by God to raise up to a position of power in the household of a guy called Potiphar. All was going well for him, and then Potiphar's wife took a bit of a liking to Joseph, decided that she wanted a bit of him, and he refused. He stood fast to the values that he held, and as a result of that, he was thrown into prison because Potiphar's wife didn't take too kindly to that, accused him of sexual assault. And when he was in prison, he still worked diligently. He didn't kind of wallow in self-pity at what had become of him, but he worked diligently using the gifts that he'd been given in the circumstance that he found himself in. And an opportunity arose for him to interpret dreams, which was, again, one of the gifts that God had given him. And he did that for a wine taster and a baker, and that resulted in him being given the opportunity to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the whole of the land. And as a result of him using those gifts and working diligently, he was placed into another position of authority, of power over Egypt. And through that position, God saved the entire nation of Israel when famine came upon the land and the people of Israel needed food. What Joseph did was work faithfully with the natural gifts that God had given him in the situations he found himself in. Nehemiah, um, he was part of the exiled people of Israel, and he was given the job of rebuilding Jerusalem after it had been destroyed and the Jewish people taken into exile. So how did that happen? How did he end up in that position? He was cupbearer to the most powerful human on the planet, a guy called Artaxerxes, Um, He was the emperor of Persia, and cupbearing was an incredibly important job, and it was only ever entrusted to a senior official. The cupbearer, the reason for that was that the cupbearer was the last person to handle the drink of the emperor before he was given it. So they had to be chosen very, very carefully because there were numerous attempts to poison the emperors to get rid of them. So Nehemiah had made it to that top position, even though he wasn't a Persian himself. He was part of Israel, a member of a defeated and a dispersed nation, And it was the emperor's trust of Nehemiah and his personal concern for him in that role that opened the door for him to go back to Jerusalem and gave him the resources to go back to Jerusalem and fulfill the task that God had given him. And that concern was built on his job performance, on how he had proved himself, how he had built a relationship with the Pharaoh. So both Joseph and Nehemiah used the gifts they had been given to work with excellence in the situations that they found themselves in, And by doing so, we're used mightily by God. I just want to end and then hand over to Ben. Um, I've drummed it in a bit, I know, but it just sits on my heart. We have a responsibility to act with excellence in the jobs that we're given and to use the gifts that God's given us in whatever way we can to glorify God. And he will do the same with us as he did with Joseph and Nehemiah, maybe not on the same scale, but he will do the same with us in terms of using us Um, if we have the same attitude towards using our gifts and talents as those guys did. Thank you. Um, 
Right, the next thing that we wanted to talk about was the way in which we work will have an impact on those around us. And the first point we wanted to make was um, you know, working with excellence should, should have a, make a difference on those around us. But equally, poor, shoddy, late work makes it much harder to gain respect um, and develop the kind of relationships with those people around us in which the, uh, the gospel can be communicated. And for Christians, whether it's paid or unpaid work, yeah, it's where we spend the majority of our time. Um, and that's definitely true for me. Uh, last week, I spent probably um, more than 12 hours each day working, um, which culminated in me sitting in Silverstone service station at 8.15 in the morning uh, on my laptop, having been up at 5.30, and then getting back home around 7.30 at night. And again, I, I say that a bit like I did at the beginning, not to boast and like, look at the stupid hours that I work, but more just to sort of say, I know what it's like to work long hours, because um, it's often quite easy to throw something up there and say, we spend most of our time then for people to sit there, like I would do, and say, well, you don't know the half of it. I think on this particular point, I do know what it's like to, to sort of put in long hours and spend lots of time around people that don't... Uh, you know, know Jesus. And when I was driving down to Silverstone on Friday, I was listening to Matt and Philip's uh, sermon, and uh, what I really liked about it was that they talked about prioritising your life as opposed to being prescriptive about how many hours you should or shouldn't work, because I think I would have found that really condemning. Um, and, you know, for me, it kind, of, it kind of challenged me about, you know, do I prioritise God and family than work? And I think if you looked at my life from the outside, you probably would say I prioritise work, family, then God. But those that sort of know me know that kind of it is that order that Matt and Philip talked about. You know, for us, there was a big sacrifice financially moving up to Sutton Coalfield, just in terms of promotions and pay rises. And I frequently get, uh, you know, LinkedIn is a, is a HR or recruitment consultant's uh, godsend, isn't it? Because all you end up doing is just emailing you off in new jobs. And you know, for me, that's quite often the case. There's quite a big temptation to, uh, you receive these emails off you a great job in London, which pays more and, you know, uh, looks really good on paper. And lots of people ask me, because I spend so much time in London, are you going to move back to London, Ben, to work? Yeah, and my answer is no. I've moved up to Sutton Coalfield to help start Real Life Church, and that's where my priorities are. So, there's an element of being able to share that gospel and talk to people as a result of sort of what I do and the way in which I go about my work. Now, every day when we arrive in the workplace, an attitude arrives with us. And if I'm honest, mine's pretty awful uh, most of the time, especially when I'm sleep-deprived and sort of harassed. Uh, but one of the primary ways we can sort of love our neighbours and demonstrate the gospel and what Jesus has done in our lives is through honouring them and honouring God in the way in which we conduct our work. And Jesus uses some examples about you know, being a light in the place that we work and, and really that's what uh, the way in which we conduct our work should do. It should be a light pointing towards Jesus. But working, uh, one of the points we wanted to make was working with excellence in its and of itself doesn't do that. There are other people, non-Christians, that work with excellence that you can look at, but it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit do people's lives get transformed. So by no way is this a kind of work hard, do an excellent job. 
you know, there's a, there's, there's a God element in all of this. It's not really about us. It's about God doing the work in people's lives. But at the same time, we've got a part to play and that part should be working with excellence. Um, you know, just as a, as a reference there, for those of you who want to check it out, this is a paraphrase of Matthew 5, 14 to 16 that says, uh, let the light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So, as I said, in all aspects of our lives, that light should point towards Christ who has made a difference in our lives. Now, reflecting on this again, no one has said to me when I've been, you know, Ben, why do you do what you do? Why do you go above and beyond what's required of you? Uh, so I've never had the opportunity to say, well, because I see it as a service to, you know, to God that I'm working for God. But people do see what I do. So in the future, there may be that opportunity where that conversation comes about. And it's definitely, your work environment is a place where non-Christians get to see, if you like, the difference that Christ makes in your life. And what this looked like for me was there's a lady at my work called Rachel who was going forward uh, for a promotion this year and um, she was struggling, like I was, with filling out that form that you have to fill out. Um, and so for me, I just took some time and I went through a form and I made some comments and then I spent a couple of hours after work taking her through that, trying to get her form the best that it could possibly be to give her the best chance of getting promoted that I, you know, I could do. And that was just on top of everything else I still had to get done that day. And I think for me that, there's, that speaks volumes into people's lives. Um, I know that I'm known as someone at work that people feel that they can come up to, that they can ask anything of, that I will prioritise sort of their needs above what else is on my to-do list. Um, and I think what that does give is a credibility in the workplace that um, you're known for uh, doing things well, that people know that when you say you're going to do something and you're going to do it in a certain time scale, you do do that and it's a good quality piece of work and it's done when you say it's going to be done. Um, I want to throw this in here and this is not supposed to be... Uh, condemning at all, but I was up at Phil and Abby's last night and uh, Phil asked me sort of how, how the sermon was going and, you know, was I prepared for it or was I going to wing it? And, uh, you know, and in fairness to Phil, at the time we were having the conversation, I hadn't written anything down even though I'd been thinking about it and, you know, the structure and stuff, but there, there was something in me that just kind of um, rose up that kind of just that, that idea of winning, winging something is important as sort of delivering God's word to you this morning and, and probably other things in my life it's, it's, doesn't really enter my mind um, and that bit that Charlotte was talking about about letting the Holy Spirit change you I think working with excellence is almost not something that either of us we do work at it but we don't consciously work at it I think for what you know, the Holy Spirit's got hold of us and has done something in us that it's almost become part of our DNA so you know, that we would do whatever needs to be done in order to make sure what we prepared like for this morning or for work would be, is the best it could possibly be. And I think, you know, for me, I think that makes a huge difference um, and it does speak volumes to people around us. But, uh, and this is a bit I wanted to spend a little bit of time on before concluding, 
there are loads of challenges of working with excellence. Um, one of the big ones, because I think one of the things of working with excellence is it, ta- it does take time, no matter how you look at it. If you want to do something well, it's going to take time. It's going to take some significant investment. And one of the dangers is that your work can become where you get your significance from rather than your relationship with God. And so we, have, we put our significance in the work rather than the creative work. And last time I was preaching, I shared with you the fact that when I was working down in Knightsbridge on a, a massive residential development at Chelsea Barracks, that I would spend my lunchtimes walking around the serpentine there, crying out to God, asking him to reveal himself to me, and also questioning why I was giving my life to creating apartments in London for people that have got more money than they know what to do with. And that was quite empty because I wasn't doing it for God. It was almost just like, well, this is, this is my job, this is what I do. Now, I'm still spending loads of hours creating apartments in London for people who've got more money than they know what to do with. But the difference now for me is that very much that, as Charlotte's talking, is part of my worship to God, part of my service to God. And having done both, having sort of almost served work without Christ and served it with Christ, I definitely prefer serving it with him. And as a Christian, I definitely believe that we should not be driven by materialism. That's not the same as not uh, having wealth, because I think there's, you can be righteous and rich and righteous and poor, and that's not what I want to confuse today with. But I don't think our main motivation should be materialism. And you can see that in people around you whose it is, and they become workaholics. Um, work becomes an idol which they serve and give everything over to. And for many of those people, they work with excellence, but it does come at a high price. Uh, for me, um, I couldn't get the words of Jesse J out of my head, it's not about the money, money, money. You know, what I do is not, I'm not driven by money, I am driven by you know, wanting to do the best I possibly can. Now I know I work too many hours, I've got non-Christians at work saying, Ben, you need to stop working so much. But at the same time, I struggle with this, not wanting to work as many hours, but at the same time, doing everything to the best of my abilities. And so you walk this line, which, is, which I get wrong often. Um, one of the things I wanted to share, I was walking back up Tottenham Court Road uh, in London one night after work. It must have been about nine o'clock or whatever. It was definitely dark. I probably spent the last two or three hours in the office on my own doing stuff. and still had to get back to Birmingham. And I remember just like thinking about... Uh, you know, how many hours I, I did to achieve what I did. And I looked up and I looked into a wasabi, which is this kind of chain of oriental restaurants that do sushi and, and other oriental stuff. And there was some guy in there, you know, putting the chairs up, sweeping the floors and bits. And I guess for me it's just quite sobering to think, actually, as much as I, how I think about my work and the hours I put in, there are loads of people that do as many hours, which are harder, which don't pay as well, which don't have as many um, prospects going forward. And, and I, you know, it kind of humbled me and made me grateful for what I have been given and what I do do. And I think that challenge of you know, working with excellence and also the hours and sort of some of the sacrifices that come with that is what I need to do is check my heart on a regular basis. Am I doing it out of service for God or has work become my idol? The opposite of that, which I can't really relate to, is uh, kind of 
you know, slothfulness and not doing it. But if you, if you rebel against needing to... Uh, I'll, I'll recognise Stu. I'll wrap up very quickly. Um, you know, if your attitude to work is you don't want to work, then you become slothful. And that is almost just as much as sinners making work your idol. I'm going to skip over money um, and tie it into my last point, which is moaning. Um, one of the challenges I've found with working with excellence is I moan a lot. Like, Jeremy Clarkson's got nothing on me. I, I can like, moan with the best of them. And part of what it is is because you kind of, you're investing so much of yourself and you, you are working with a spirit of, you know, of excellence, but at the same time, to those around you, you're letting them know that you're working with you know, what you're doing and you're whinging and whining about it. And for me, I recognise that almost that, that definitely isn't sharing the gospel. You know, no one likes to be around a, a moaner or a whinger about what they're doing. And so one of the real challenges for me in that is like, what is my outward attitude? What are people actually seeing? As well as the hard work, you know, is it with a smile on my face and joy in my heart and a skip in my step or, or not? And um, yeah, my biggest moan has really been around uh, what other people get paid versus what I get paid and that kind of feeling that, well, I'm putting more effort in, I'm doing more, I've got more responsibility, that's not fair, that's unjust. And one of the things that's really kind of spoken to me about trying to sort that attitude out is another parable that Jesus tells of uh, people that get paid to work in a field and like at the start of the day, the owner of the field goes to the people that are sort of, you know, almost like the job centre of the time and says, do you want to work in my field? I'll pay you a day's wages. And the first person says yes and goes and works in the field. And then you have that over a 12-hour period where there's someone that gets paid the same wage to do five minutes' work as the guy that's done 12 hours' work. And there's that feeling of, it's not fair. And it's like, well, hang on a minute, you were happy at the start of the day for that day's wage. I'm the person that gives the money. It's up to me how much I choose to pay that person for five minutes. And that, that's spoken to me you know, loads. I definitely don't get it right. I definitely still moan. Because um, let's be honest, who doesn't like a good moan? You know, as much as uh, I know I need to repent, I know I need to change my attitude uh, around this, I need to pray for the Holy Spirit to change my attitude, um, you know, it's a work in progress. And as I said at the beginning, I'm not standing up here pretending to be perfect, because that's, that's far from the case. Right, some application points, um, and then we're going to get the band up and we're going to worship. Um, hope you found that helpful. It was an interesting one putting together on a, on a theme of working with excellence. So to finish, we just wanted to take a moment to reflect on what's been said. The first thing I want us to reflect on is, is Jesus our example of what it means to work with excellence? Is that who we look to when you think about how should I be approaching whatever task it is? Do we look to Jesus? Um, you know, we can only do, we can only work with excellence because of what Jesus has done on the cross for his suffering, death and resurrection, as Charlotte talked about. And it's only through the Holy Spirit transforming us that we can become more Christ-like. And then what's your attitude to work? Picking up on some of the things that Charlotte said. Um, do you see work as a reflection of excellence of God? Do you see work as a service that you are performing for God? Do you see work as an opportunity to use the gifts that God has given you? Do you see work as a platform for showing your colleagues Jesus and an opportunity to share the good news with them about what he's done for you? 
the band would like to come up and we're going to spend some time worshipping now, uh, worshipping Jesus, thanking him for our jobs, what he's done for us, uh, our work colleagues. If you're like me and you're not perfect, you might want to spend part of this worship time sort of reflecting, repenting of any uh, sinful attitudes towards work and just asking God to come and transform you by the power of his Holy Spirit so that tomorrow morning, when I'm sure Stu's going to say it, you wake up and you thank God it's Monday, you can go into that with a real kind of spirit uh, and go about your work so that you glorify him in all that you're doing.